0: Welcome to the Architect of Change Show with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman & Associates. Now here's Connie.
1: Hi, I'm Connie Whitman, your host, and you're listening to Architect of Change on webtalkradio.net. So thank you so much for joining me this week. My motivational quote today is by Jack Welch, and it says, if the rate of exchange outside your organization is greater than the rate of exchange inside your organization, then the end is in sight. If Jack Welch's quote's true, then why do so many organizations focus on managing processes but don't seem to know how to lead teams really to the ultimate success? The value outside organizations is often greater than the perceived value of the people within. Is this the concept of the grass is always greener on the other side or outside the fence kind of thing? Perhaps this is why many companies have high employee turnover rates, employees who drag themselves to work and do the bare minimum so they could just fly under the radar, and employees and the managers who dislike what they do and the people they work for. So why do we get up and go to work every day? to earn money certainly but the problem with this statement for me is the word work work is associated with a 9 to 5 i hate my job i live for the weekend way of life if all this is true then is there a better way to create a high value rate of exchange inside our organizations my guest today michelle lipschitz michelle is going to tell us her story and how her company has embraced positive and in- inspiring change using organizational development strategies in order to create internal value for the company and for the employees. Now, organizational development is one of my favorite topics uh, when it comes to business discussions. So I'm really excited because Michelle's background is extensive. Michelle is the national manager of Cohen Resnick's gender-based diversity strategy. She leans women can an employee resource group focusing on attracting, retaining, and advancing female employees in addition to developing women's career objectives. She also provides executive coaching and strategic consulting to ensure that the firm continues to be a best place for women to work, yay! A seasoned human resource professional, Um, Michelle is a skilled facilitator, trainer, coach, and instructional designer, and she has previously held roles in talent management, learning, and diversity. So with that, please help me welcome Michelle. So Michelle, thank you so much for being on today thank you for making me sound so great. I know, right? When A lot of times it's funny when I do these uh, speaking things and people do your introduction. I always giggle and I go, wow, I'd hire me. You make me sound so smart, right? <laughs> I'd agree with that. But it, it's all true. It's all true, Michelle, everything I, I just read. Now, I like Jack Welch's uh, quote Because I do think that organiz- organizational development and some of the strategies that we're going to talk about today that you've been able to implement really are critical to retaining and really qualifying the uh, talent management within our organization so that we, it actually saves money too. It becomes a more profitable whole process, pr- process for, the, for organizations. Absolutely. So do me a favor. Start by defining what organizational development is for those that really don't know what that, what that means or haven't been exposed to. Sure.
2: I like to think of OD in its simplest form as helping an organization improve. And generally what I mean by that is with a specific focus on its people and processes and as usually accomplished by applying behavioral research, um, knowledge of behavioral theory and best practices. Going back to Doc Welch, quote, there's an old joke about work that uh, basically OD consultants um, get people to do, uh, people in organizations to to do more with less than like it, so that I'll joke about what we do, but that's not, um, that's just one part of, you know, understanding motivation and organization, that this organization is a complex system of people and values and not just um, about the organization's processes. So going back to that quote, that we need to figure out the best ways to um, improve the organization to make it efficient, to make it a good place to work, to make it uh, to make people more effective and motivate them. And so, this probably sounds a little nebulous right now, but by way of illustration, common applications of OD often show up in a number of departments in an organization, and in particular, through the HR functions. So whether that is um, how we look at designing a reward system specific to the organization's goals, or techniques giving feedback, or writing effective performance appraisals, or even identifying um, competencies that make effective leaders
1: successful employees in that particular organization you know it it's true and this is when I was going for my MBA many years ago and I'm not going to tell you when because it totally dates me when I was going um, to graduate school this was this topic was new okay and new you know I mean it was it was gaining some some legs and traction and I was like holy moly like it totally spoke to me because organizations are run and and um, uh, production is done by employees, by humans, by people. So I love the concept of how can we focus on people as well as focusing on processes, processes and, and look at the behavior so that we can drive the results. So for me, this, this was like, uh, yeah, is there any other way to work within an organization, especially the leaders at the top, so I loved it. It was very touchy-feely, so it was very new back in the 90s, um, but you know, in the old days, that whole touchy-feely thing was very much poo-pooed because it wasn't process-driven and systems-driven and all that kind of thing, so I love it. I love it. I think it's a great topic, and I think that, for me, it goes back to the basics of how organizations could be, really become profitable. So, how did you actually become interested in this field? So, I honestly
2: fell into it. Um, I certainly didn't say as a little girl, "Gee, I want to be an organizational psychologist." <laughs> um, in fact, I don't know what anybody did. But and even to your point about it being, an, you know, relatively new. Field. Um, I remember when I started my master's degree, as I entered the program, I remember people saying, You know, if you're studying social and organizational psychology. What is that? Yep. By the time I finished my master's, about two years later, folks were like, Oh, I've heard of that. Or isn't mm-hmm. that an up and coming field? And, you know, we're more, you know, but still, we're like, What do you want to do with that? So, I, you know, I, I, um, I do appreciate that sentiment because really even still today it's I think that what's challenging about the the industry is that you have to be good at applying, you know, theory to practice and it's not it's not easy. But I started off my undergraduate degree as a double major in psychology and physical therapy at Boston University and I very quickly really realized that I was much more interested in the psychological aspect. Mm Of rehabilitation than I was in the physical aspect. So I dropped the double major to focus on just the psychology major and I kind of. I assumed that I would be pursuing at some point a Ph.D. in clinical psychology with a focus on um, abnormal psychology. I loved reading in a textbook about um, schizophrenia and narcissistic personality disorder, and I really thought that I wanted to basically um, work with uh, the mentally ill population. And as I was completing my degree at Boston University... I had the opportunity in my first semester to study abroad. And as part of the program, you did an internship in your field. So I interned on an acute psychiatric ward in London. And while it was a phenomenal experience, I actually quickly learned that reading about individuals with mental illness and interfacing and interacting Mm. with them was really very different than I thought it would be. It was very Mm. insightful. Um, time and I wouldn't trade that experience. Um, but you know, I'm a very petite individual. I saw patients restrained. I saw um, you know somebody in the in the um, throes of a manic and you know, manic episode, or su- treated patients that were suicidal. It and it really I either took it home, it weighed on me, or I found that I felt unsafe, and so I started to doubt whether this was the right choice for me. And when I returned, I had one more class to take in psychology to complete my major, and I had saved it to last because it didn't sound all that inter- interesting. It was called Industrial and Organizational Psychology, but it was my last <laughs> requirement. Um, and as I took this class, I thought, hey, I'm interested in the business world too, and this might be a way I can help people in the workplace. So that's fundamentally how I got into Got, developed this interest in it, and then I ended up taking a year off between um, my, undergraduate, uh, my undergraduate and graduate degree. At that time, I worked at Macy's in the Human Resource Department. At the same time, that federation was coming in and taking over, and they were mm-hmm. merging their organizational cultures. There mm-hmm. were change management initiatives. There was lots of trainings about the new vision and... Mm-hmm new systems, and I thought, this is so cool. Um, so it really, and this was the first time that, that re- my experience actually reinforced that this was something that I wanted to continue exploring. And so I applied to two programs, uh, two master's programs in uh, organizational psychology or industrial and organizational Effectiveness, and I ultimately chose to go to Columbia for my master's because they had their program had a much more heavy emphasis on the social and organizational psychology. So as opposed to the other one I applied to was NYU, which was more uh, industrial and organizational effectiveness. So um, I picked the one that was more psychology based, and I really didn't develop a specialty in women's initial initiatives until really several years later, I only knew that when I graduated with this master's degree that I wanted to be part of an organization that had a progressive approach to human resources, and as we mentioned before, this was a new, relatively new and -and up-and-coming field, so I really specifically wanted to be with an organization that would invest in their people this way, and so I focused on applying to financial large financial services firms, um, high-tech companies, big four accounting firms, and I even had a rule that any organization that referred to their HR department as
1: personnel would not be the right fit. So (laughs) That's great. You know, I I I just wanted to interject and say, Michelle, there is a couple of things that you said, and we're going to take a break in a minute, but there's a couple of things that you said that I think are key. Um, First, you said that it found you and i i i agree because i don't think there's any accidents in our life i don't think there's coincidences i think we are where we're supposed to be when things happen so all of those different um movements and shifts and going to London and saying oh my god I'm small I don't know that I could do this and it's weighing on me and that's the process of school so my other point I wanted because I have folks that are similar to my age and I could be your mother and I hate even saying that but it's true and parents that are listening I was struck because I have a son who's currently in college and. The way that you flowed and said, "Oh, I'm, I'm going to do this," and then, "Oh, I don't know about that," and then something else open, and then something else open, and the whole transition of change through your academic career has brought you to where you are now at Cohen Resnick. So, I it gives me as a parent faith that my my son will absolutely end up where he's supposed to be, and I do believe that. But I also believe that the academic System that's in place and the force of you have to like you said oh I have to take this industrial organizational thing I saved it till the end right unbeknownst to you had you taken that um, first but I believe that you needed to take that last and have experienced all the other pieces for it to impact you the way it did and then the last so so parents there's hope and then the last thing I wanted to comment on is you're you're still fairly a a young becoming uh, emerging leader and and all of those things. And organizational development, uh, Michelle and I met at a networking event, happened to be a golf outing, and I've never golfed before, so that was interesting. Anyway, uh, when Michelle it was fun. It was an awesome day. Yeah, it was an awesome day. The, the uh, pro was very kind. But when Michelle and I were introduced, and I'm like, oh, what do you do here? And she said, typical networking conversation. And when she said organizational development, right, my eyes lit up, Michelle. And I go, oh my God, that's like my favorite topic. And she looked at me, she goes, you know what that is? <laughs> and so we got a chuckle out of that. And then that's how I invited her to be on the show because, again, I think it's a topic that needs to get even more traction than what it has in the past decade. And I thought that you were very well-versed, again, because of that whole psychology background and how you... It really is... We're dealing with humans, so it is psychology. So I just love the whole combination. We're going to take a quick break, and I just wanted to comment one last thing. You said that you thought you were going to go for a PhD in, in clinical psychology. And it's funny because... I I say to my kids as soon as I pay for their college, I would love to go back for my PhD and it would be in psychology because I think in the business world, if you don't have an understanding of psychology and basic human behavior, how can you change your organization because really your organization, again, is functioned by people. So it's just funny that you commented on that because someday, Michelle, (laughs) that's going to be my other credential someday. All right, let's take let's take a really quick break. And, guy you wanted to say one more thing, and then we can take a break. We can take a break. Okay, awesome.
0: A speaker has little value to an audience unless you, the listener, is motivated and empowered to change. Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates is a renowned speaker and is an architect of change. Consultations, training, seminars, and speaking engagements are the venues where she affects change. Whether your responsibilities include customer service, sales, marketing, training, executive management, or ownership, and you are seeking change in your organization, then you need to hire Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Connie doesn't just fill your with rhetoric, she speaks to the heart and success of your business. So, next time you need to hire a speaker, don't hire someone that just talks. Hire an architect of change, Connie Whitman. Just ask for Connie by calling 732 888 1420. That's 732 888 1420. Or email Connie at Whitman
1: Okay, we are back and we are speaking with Michelle Lipschitz, and we're talking about organizational development and how um, Michelle got interested in it and really how it has grown in intensity, I think, in popularity um, over the past uh, decade or so. So I want to jump into how do you leverage your, um, the organizational development in your current role at Cohen Resnick? You touched so- on it a little bit.
2: So yeah, I currently manage their women's initiative, and I use OD all the time. And I fundamentally built um, women can, which is, as you said before, their gender-based diversity strategy, as well as the term I use for our collaborative advocacy network, which is an employee resource group on um, on an OD foundation. It happens, if we go back to the beginning, that when I started, at Cone Resnick, I interviewed for this role, and I thought that I was coming into an evolved role. In fact, my predecessor had managed what they called the Professional Women's Program. I Mm. was placing this individual, I was interviewing for that role, only to basically discover that Essentially, by the time I actually joined the firm, the merger between Legacy JH Cohn and Resnick had been announced. And when my predecessor left, um, Leg- left Legacy JH Cohn, uh, essentially the Women's Initiative almost um, departed with her. And at the same time, the old model was very programmatic and the model wasn't scalable to the size of the new organization. So for me, that was really an opportunity to hit reset and start um, a completely different model that was based on this OD foundation. So I came, I started, I the first thing I did was a 90-day needs analysis, to say what's going on, where are we, whole... Um, diagnosis and needs analysis, and I came up with Women Can um, as my model. And essentially, Women Can pivots on three main components, and that's leveraging leveraging a people and talent component co- component at the heart of um, the Women's Network that allows us to offer. Customized programs and learning opportunities focused on women's unique needs, and I have a dedicated resource in each office that has an action plan tailored to um, that we uh, derive together, tailored to the local needs of what some of the women are or. Sometimes we even include the men in the topics of conversation, depending on what we think are some of the conversations we should be having. So whether it's uh, a focus on sponsorship, women tend to be under mentored. I'm sorry, over mentored and under sponsored, and men need to sponsor more women. Why? Because people like people like themselves. They sponsor people like. Uh, like themselves, so this happens on an unconscious level and these are conversations or programs that we offer locally to bring those things uh, to light the second component is looking at looking at your organ your women's initiative through an OD lens is how do you leverage this to become a fundamental part of the business as well as in my case um, from an OD perspective if you want to challenge the the status quo, and you want to change the system, the fastest way to do that is to make more women partners. And the fastest way to do that is to teach them to bring in the business. So as you mentioned, you've even attended one of our events whereby we do this and through something what we call The Executive Women's Forum, something we're rolling out nationally, is a women-centric networking opportunity focused on leveraging our women's initiative with our clients, our referral sources, and prospects. And it's a way for our women also to become more comfortable, women at all levels, with this concept of selling work, of business development. And essentially, that's not only a win-win that's a triple win it's good for our business it's good for our women and it's good for our clients and in case like you mentioned the golf outing you know women are the fastest growing segment of the market women and minority owned businesses and women are more structured in their approach to networking and they like or even prefer to network with other women So we're providing the opportunities for that, and we're providing it with a focus on meeting their unique needs. So as you mentioned, when we hosted our golf outing in New Jersey, we offer a clinic. Um, You have the opportunity to golf nine holes or 18 holes, uh, but what we found is that a lot of women are intimidated by golfing, and the fact that we offer a lesson, most of the women who attended took the lesson.
1: And I wanna comment. I just wanna comment Michelle because the um and I just also wanna uh talk about Cohen Resnick and the amazing things I think they're doing and I could talk at the local level. I know they're national, um, but it's local level. They're ranked eleventh, if I'm not mistaken, um, nationally, correct, for accounting firms? So, yeah, depending on depending
2: on uh which survey or the way we look, tenth, eleventh. Yeah. So let's
1: just say for ease, it's it's top ten nationally ranked. Okay, that they've taken this initiative nationally, and the success and legs that it has grown and is just tremendous. And at that networking event, the I didn't go last year, and I'm friends with Tracy, who kind of runs the whole thing, and I mm-hmm. love support. She should, yes, absolutely. And I love supporting her. So I try to go to whatever networking things that she does, again, because my uh, affiliation with her and like, you know, I like her. So I, of course, I want to support that. But last year, I didn't go because I thought I don't golf. It's ridiculous. And, um, you know, it's, it's just not my thing. So this year, and I I remember you, I didn't know that you had done the clinic last year. So this year, a couple of uh, gals and myself were chatting about it, and we decided that we were going to do the clinic, and I was totally comfortable because most of them hadn't golfed before either. There was a pro and all these things. It was an awesome event. So anybody that's listening, if you're unsure, and even guys, if... If everybody doesn't golf and you offer this clinic piece, you're going to get more people to show up because then beforehand we networked, then we did the either the, the nine eighteen or the, the clinic, and then we did a networking event cocktail after, which was amazing. So, you know, I, I, there's so much that you can do with the clinic as well. So kudos to you guys for figuring that out. I want to... We're, we're, we have about seven minutes left, but I do want to talk about... Um, what what do you think has set Cohen Resnick above and beyond what the competitors are doing as it relates to embracing this whole uh, women's initiative? But like you said, you get the guys involved too, but also the whole organizational piece. And then the last thing I do want you to discuss, so just manage the time, I want you to give some strategies for folks who... Never thought about organizational development. I'm doing air quotes right now with my hands. Um, what are some of the strategies that they can do to begin to set the course for the success using these strategies? So first, what sets acro- sets across sets apart. I'm sorry, Colin Resnick from the rest. So I think it really is the way we go
2: about embedding this in our organization as an OD phenomenon.) Um, what you, I'm a dedicated resource to the Women's Initiative, and I have a background in OD. And what you typically find when organizations start their Women's Initiative is that they often find a senior-most wo- woman and assign her to basically figure out—you know, to go start a Women's Initiative. You figure it out with basically few resources and no support. And if you don't have a background, with, in this, it's not going to become part of the DNA of your organization. This is really partly about your culture. It's about change in the organization. And if you're only doing programs, programs are are great. They're one part of, this, of the solution. What we've done is taken a holistic look at our organization through an OD lens and applied this. And as a result, we've come pretty far pretty fast. Um, yes. Yeah. Also have great support from our organizational leaders. And that third point of the model that um, I didn't get to talk about is really is this OD component. Look through look at your organization, look at the systems, look at the processes. What's embedded in your system. Look at your data and identify where are the challenges. So what that looks like are things like, oh, um, most recently. I did a pay equity analysis. not because I thought that we had a problem with pay, but because you hear all over the media that women are, you know, paid seventy cents, um, 77 cents on the dollar to men and we're only going backwards. Well, I'm like, if you want ret- to re- retain and advance your women, well, you, we better be p- paying them competitively. Um, but you don't know until you look. So I did the due diligence. And last year I did it retrospective on the 2015 uh, data And this year, prior to July 15th, we're on a July 15th annual review cycle, uh, about six weeks before that, I worked with the comp team to crunch the numbers on the preliminary um, compensation, the proposed compensation, to share that with the senior HR team and the business leaders and say, this, if we go out with these numbers, this is what we look like. And now, going forward, this bit of due diligence is now embedded as a checkpoint in our compensation process. We're great on pay, but the fact we're embedding to make sure um, a fail-safe, a checkpoint that we're saying we're going to do this going forward, we're going we're gonna to look to make sure that it you know we keep being great at that. So it's, it's things like that. Um, we recently established a partnership with Bright Horizons in order to offer Backup care. Um, And Bright Horizons provides backup care for child care, elder care, and even limited resources pet care. Well, embedding that as a new benefit to our employees benefits our men. And our women, who are now often in the sandwich generation of kids and older parents, uh, but particularly since women are often primary caregivers, I would argue it benefits them even a little bit more. Because, well, if it's a, you know it's our busy season and it's tax time and it's crunch time and it's April 14th and um, your nanny cancels, you have a backup resource instead of getting all stressed out or. Um, having to worry how you're going to get all your work done, you have a resource to say, hey, okay, I can call up the hotline I can see if I can get my child into a backup center or have someone even come to me um, to hold the baby while I do work from home. Like, there are just so many advantages um, to the program so it seems like that even uh, one more thing we put a subset of our executive board and a um, our entire HR team uh, through some training on unconscious bias the reality is that um, discrimination for a lack of a better word Mm -hmm. uh, tends not to be overt in today's organization it's on this covert level and by training our HR folks who are stakeholders in our performance process to spot it um we're upping our game to say hey okay this is what uh this is what it looks like this is what it sounds like because what's going on when we see things like um you know women might be you know are they tenuring you know in their roles longer are they um not are their trajectories different than the men's are we pro, you know are we promoting women and men on the same on the same um, competencies or skills um, because we find in research that women tend to be promoted on their accomplishments and women and men on their potential, and that can create in an organization a differential in things like, you know, how long people tend in a role as they go up the partnership ranks. So those are some of the things that I look at through this OD lens, and I think it really does help to set us apart.
1: It does, and and what you just listed so many great strategies for organizations that are looking to include this organizational development component again to drive the the profit. And for me, it's always driving the bottom line. So it absolutely is about the culture, and it has to be at the core of the culture, and the you know. I think it also starts your, you had said uh, a few minutes ago that, you know, it, it starts in HR, in human resource, and then they get the most senior person, they say, okay, this is the initiative, go do it. And they have no background in this, so where do you begin? You don't know what you don't know. So if you can find someone who has this background and has this language and has this understanding of how to do the evaluations and how to um, sync it with the culture and shift the culture, it's important. So we do need, so if you're an organization looking for this, you really do want to try to find someone who can uh, drive the organizational development component by having that background. Um, The other thing that you commented on, and then we're we're out of time, but it's important to manage, or to to mention, you know, child care and elder care, and we are the sandwich generation. We are living longer. So folks in my age group, Michelle, just uh, for your FYI, which I know you know this already, um, you know, I do have elderly parents, 86 and, and 87 years old, and I do have kids now. My kids are a little bit older. We are, are squished in between because if the child's sick or the parents sick, it really does come down to the female, the daughter versus the son, or the mom versus the dad. Um, again, because we're the caregivers. And I and and here's the thing. I know some women are like, oh, you know, we're underpaid and whatever. I my first job is being a mom. It's always been that way. It will always be that way. And I don't mind the responsibility of, you know, taking care of of mom and dad and issues and going to doctors with them or whatever, uh, because I feel like it's my privilege that I still have my parents. So I, I think that organizations like yourself are coming up with ways that we can meet deadlines, like an August 15th deadline especially for an accounting firm like yourself and having these components to say, all right, don't worry, no matter what happens, you have a safety net, it does take some stress off. But, you know, I, I, I'm i still a believer that women should be paid equal and all that stuff, and that's another debate for another day, but I also embrace the fact that I'm the mom and that there's nobody else like a mom when it comes to your kid being sick so I think that you know if you want it both ways this is a nice way um, so that everybody wins male, female moms, dads because I know my husband has stayed home when the kids um, were sick because of my career or my commitment to a client so you know what it's all a balancing game and this just embraces the human component to make us all more productive and isn't that at the end of the day what we're looking to do is drive production and drive um, longevity because every time there's turnover, it's costing the, the companies a, a crap load of money. So for me, I, you, see, can you tell I'm passionate about this topic? Absolutely. To, I totally agree. You know, ah,
2: Some folks get, um, you know, get a little prickly about, well, why the women and not the men? And I'm like, the more diverse an organization is, the better it yeah. is for everybody. In everybody wins. It improves, actually, the bottom line. That's what we're showing. And I always always joke that I'm the first one to say that when the pendulum swings the other way at the partnership level and we're 51% female partners, I will launch
1: Men Can Too. Yes. I like it. Yeah, and and really, 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 it should be um, the pendulum in the middle. And I think in my lifetime, my career over the past 33 years, um, the pendulum, I believe, is becoming – um, more centralized and I think that's a good thing and I know people will argue with me. But I you know, I, I just think organizations like yours and what Cohen Resnick's doing, kudos, man, and that if more organizations overall forget about a women's component, if they could take that organizational development theology or, or um uh, process and overlay it onto their culture to make their culture stronger, everybody wins. I, you know, male, female doesn't really matter at the end of the day. So um, great, just great, Michelle. Thank you for all the ideas and um, strategies. Keep up the good work at Cohen Resnick. You know, kudos to my my, pe- my pals at um, Cohen Resnick for what you're doing. I just think you're setting the bar, bar high and, um, you know, keep doing it. It's what, what we need to do. Now, if you'd like to reach Michelle, Um, For more information, if you're looking to put a strategy in place in your organization, Michelle, instead of giving your phone number, I'm going to give your email address and everybody, I promise, I'll put it on the webtalkradio.net website as well under my show, under this description of this show, Michelle, so that they literally can click and it'll take them. Uh, Write to you uh, in an email. Okay, so it's Michelle Lifshitz at cohenresnick.com, and Michelle, of course, is M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E. Dot, and then Lifshitz is L-I-F, like Frank, S-C-H-I-T-Z at cohenresnick.com. But again, the link will be there if you're driving. No worries. so that I promise you might get an, an you know an influx of emails, but I'm I feel that you are well armed to share strategies and help folks out that are looking to um you know get their sea legs with this topic. Uh, don't forget, send me your email stories, uh, topics you want me to cover. Uh, if you're struggling on the sales end, let's say of your culture at an organization, please reach out to me at my email, which is connie at whitmanassos.com so it's w-h-i-t-m-a-n-a-s-s-o-c and of course you can find me uh through the link on web talk radio as well michelle thank thank you you so much Uh, thank you for being on what a great topic and um you're just so well versed in it so thank you for um your insight my pleasure what a great show. Thanks again. Um, thank you all for joining us today. You've been listening to Architect of Change with me, your host Connie Whitman, on WebTalkRadio.net. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful and inspired week, everyone.
0: You've been listening to The Architect of Change with your host Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Thank you for tuning in. We're glad you were here.